Hello, all you vivacious leading ladies and Telenova hunks, and welcome to episode 34 of A Bookish Affair, where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm Shannon, she's Shandy, and we love romance. We are the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's Romance Book Club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse, inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's open and on Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you are interested in joining this virtual discussion group, if you have feedback for us, suggestions for the club or podcast you want to tell us about your favorite book or author whom we just really need to talk about, or you just want to say, hey, check the show notes for our emails and the link to our bookish affair page on LOPL.org. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, Multnomah, and Clackamas peoples, and all other unnamed tribes on which we live, work, and record this podcast with gratitude. Well, friends, once again, we arrive in your ears much later than we expected to. A a number of things have conspired to... uh, to delay this episode, including interstate travel, um, vaccinations, uh, professional conferences, uh, shout out to all the nice people um, on the uh, on the uh, Oregon Library Association message boards um, who responded to my question about what romances they've been reading. That was actually really fun. Um, but we are back. We're back with episode 34. I am here. Let me just describe the scene to you. I am sitting out uh, in what the Dickinsons call the front yard um, of the cabin, and they call it the front yard because it faces the lake. Um, So I I, I have a hard time with this because this seems like the backyard to me. But anyway, it it doesn't matter. Um, It's a a really fabulous view. Uh, I'm looking across the lake at Sugarloaf Mountain, and there's a tiny sailboat in my view and you can probably hear the bird song and it's just uh it's just idyllic as my father-in-law would say and we unfortunately have to leave tomorrow so I'm very sad about that our time is winding down that is sad I have to ask though this is very important to me the other day you sent me a photo of you holding a vanilla chocolate soft serve a treat you got upon arriving at the cabin. So folks, I am a sucker for a good vanilla chocolate swirl saucer. So pray tell, have you been back for another? I sure have. I sure have. In fact, last weekend, we decided to make up for lost time and we had Malibu yogurt two days in a row. Yes. <laughs> These are the things this inquiring mind wants to know. (laughs) Definitely one of the best choices um, I've made in quite some time. Um, Yeah, we also we also discovered sushi burritos, which are amazing. Um, Yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so good. This place called Howdy's in Malibu, and they have the spicy tuna burrito that you just would not believe. So good. Um, We've gotten Wood Ranch barbecue three times. So that's the. uh, that's the barbecue place in town that um, we got the that the, they catered our wedding, and so it's not only just sort of you know a tradition, but also just some of the best mac and cheese you'll ever have. Um, Claire has probably made her way through 
maybe four quarts of it at this point over the time that we've been here. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, I wouldn't say it's been warm exactly, but it has been mild enough that I can say, like sit outside to record the intro to the podcast or zoom into meetings from outside, which is exactly what I did for our last book club meeting, which is now, you know, coming up on two weeks ago or three weeks ago. <laughs> it's been a while. Time, time <laughs> is just irrelevant right now. Time is so irrelevant. And it's funny though, you know, at home, you know, you're inside and you're on a meeting and you mute when you're not talking just, you know, because it's polite and you don't want to have feedback and interference, but also because somebody might, you know, come tearing through your home yelling about a, a missing, um, you know, a missing Lego piece or, or any number of things. Entirely different reasons to uh, to mute <laughs> when you're having a meeting outside. Uh, in this case, motorcycles on their way to the nearby biker bar. I'm dying to know whether they wear masks. It really <laughs> And also some very opinionated geese. Um, the real question is, though, were those geese trying to tell us what they thought of You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria, which was her book club book. <laughs> All right. So I am back inside because I didn't know if you guys wanted to hear birdsong that entire episode. <laughs> Um, so let's recap this now very long ago book club discussion <laughs> we had. I have to cast my mind back, but I'm pretty sure we had a great turnout and a lively discussion. <laughs> I'm fairly certain it was because <laughs> we talked over an hour. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yes, it's always good when we go past that hour. I always make the meeting 11 to 12.30 just in case in the hopes that we'll talk longer. Um, you know, and some people have to split off, but... Um, yeah, and, and actually what's what started happening at the end of book club, which I love, is um, we start talking about what else we're reading. So we kind of do like, what are you reading now um, at, at the end of book club? And so in the last the last one, there were so many good ideas and so many, um, you know, somebody recommended a uh, historical K-drama and some other stuff. So I started, I sort of started gathering those book suggestions or movie or, or TV suggestions Um and and sending them just to the you know not to the entire list because they have an enormous list of, of you know a lot of people who don't come to book club honestly <laughs> um but you know just sending them to the people who were part of that conversation um anyway so that's that's just become like a really lovely sort of informal um you know recommendation fest anyway so okay so let's talk about you had me at ola um let's okay i'm gonna do a quick book summary spoilers ahead um okay so we have our heroine jasmine lynn rodriguez she is a soap opera star who has gotten her she's just gotten her big break she's gotten the starring role in a uh bilingual rom-com drum based on a telenovela um and this uh the, the show that she's in is called carmen in charge and she has the role of carmen um she's also fresh off a bad and very public breakup with an annoying rock star. Um, and so her face is all over the tabloids. And so she may, she comes up with this, um, with this plan, the leading lady plan for the future. And she just, she wants to keep her head down, focus on her work. And, you know, so her, her plan involves things like, you know, leading ladies don't end up on tabloid covers for bad breakups or leading ladies don't need a man to be happy, that kind of thing. 
So, of course, one look at her co-star and on-screen love interest, Ashton Suarez. And you just know all of these plans are, well, they're just not going to go as planned. Um, So, of course, Ashton has his own hang-ups, a pretty big secret that he's managed to keep not only from the paparazzi, but from everybody he works with so far. (laughs) So, okay. So let's talk about this book. So, you know, one thing that I'll say is that I was really expecting to be fascinated with the behind the scenes, sort of making a television show part of this book. And it did not grab me the way I thought it would. And I really, I really wanted it to. So you and I both loved another book by Alexis Daria, Take the Lead, which is the first in her um, uh, dance-off series. And that is about a very much Dancing with the Stars-esque dance competition show where a professional dancer is paired with some sort of, you know, personality of varying levels of celebrity. So (laughs) I don't know. I... This is a character flaw, I think, but I don't really care about dance competition shows. It just doesn't, it's it's not a it's not a genre that grabs me for some reason. Um, you know, so I didn't think it was possible for me to care this much about a dance competition show, even a fictional one. But I loved that book so much and the and the career stuff, the dance stuff was so much a part of why I loved that book. The heroine of that book, Gina. Toward the end, she finally gets her big break in musical theater, something she's been wanting forever. You know, basically her dream role and her dream production playing her, um, you know, her sort of personal idol, um, this woman uh, that she's grown up looking up to. And I, when she got that role, I practically stood up and cheered. I was so proud and happy for this fictional character. So, (laughs) you know, based on our enjoyment of Alexis Daria's backlist in that series, I think this book had a high bar to clear. And I, I don't know, do you feel like it measured up? I wanted it to, I really, really wanted it to, but overall it didn't totally do it for me. Like the dance off series was tighter than this novel this novel, you know, you had me at Ola is still good. I don't want to dismiss it or disparage it. Like it was a quick read, totally enjoyable. And I had fun reading it. There was just a certain magic with the dance off series that you had me at Ola didn't quite have. Like there were definitely some interesting things like the intimacy coach. I, I really enjoyed that little detail there. Um, I thought that was really smart to bring in, especially with like you had Bridgerton and there was a huge conversation about them having an intimacy coach. So I really enjoyed that piece, but I just felt, and maybe she had more in the original manuscript. I don't know, but it, the way it was edited, I just, it just didn't feel as focused as the dance off series for me. I don't know. There's this feeling that I often have with a book where I think this is, this is fine. This is good. I just want more. And, and that's not really even a disparagement of the book because the bones are there. I just want more meat on them. That's kind of a gross metaphor. I'm sorry, vegetarians, but you know what I, you know what I mean? Like somehow um, take the lead was both shorter and meatier. Um, whereas this felt a little bit more watered down, I think just spread over, um, 
you know, a, a, num- a greater number of pages. It, there were parts where I thought, like, this entire chapter could have gone the way of the dodo. <laughs> it's like, this wasn't really necessary. And I understand, you know, it's a certain, um, you know, it's not a novella. It's a it's a full length book, and it's going to be a trade paperback, and it's going to have a beautiful color cover, and so of course it needs to be a certain number of pages. Yeah, that's actually that's a really interesting about the intimacy coach because I kind of forgotten about how interesting that chapter was, and it really uh, it really made me think a lot about um, consent and you know our conversations about that and Ashton saying, you know Ashton having this moment where he's like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever asked me if it's okay, if, if this, this on-screen kiss happens or like what I feel comfortable with. And yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a big moment for him. Um, you know, in the way I cannot remember for the life of me, the intimacy coach's name. Um, but the way she, you know, she sort of like walks them through everything and asks them what feels natural. And they have a, they have a gesture, um, where they high five to sort of break out of that, um, you know, to say, okay, we are finished with this. Um, you know, with this romantic moment, now we're going to high five uh, and, and, and then, you know, sort of break character that way. But anyway, that was, that was really, really interesting stuff. Um, I liked that. I liked that part a lot. Um, it, it's interesting. you know, we had this, we had a great and really interesting book club conversation. Funnily enough, as I look back on it, I, I felt like we didn't spend a ton of time on the romance part aside from, aside from our discussion of the top secret secret whether it was understandable for Ashton to wait as long as he did to reveal it. So spoilers, it's spoiler town. Welcome to spoiler town. I don't feel too bad about the spoiler because we, as the readers learn fairly early on in the book. (laughs) Ashton has a young son who lives with Ashton's dad and his grandparents in Puerto Rico. Um, so this, the, he's not a secret baby. He's like a secret nine-year-old. Uh, <laughs> and it takes the rest of the world because Ashton is so private and so protective of his family. Um, we as the readers learn about that secret child uh, much, much sooner than the rest of the world, the paparazzi. And yeah, sorry. I got so excited and squealed <laughs> secret child because if you like, if you like that trope, voila. Um, yeah, I think in, in, um, the book club discussions, I think someone cried. I just wanted them to talk. And I agree. Like there was just so much angst around Ashton's big secret, primarily from him, you know, like if he should tell Jasmine and then, and if so, when he should tell her, when was the right time, et cetera, et cetera. Just so much emotional for it you know it was like hashtag whiplash um I thought one one book club point which was that you know in historical novels the main characters don't often have a lot of opportunity to talk to one another like given like the social customs and expectations you know being alone is is not okay uh, but in contemporary novels, the biggest obstacle for authors, and I and I feel like we've talked about this before, is how do you keep the main characters apart? How do you keep them from not getting together and therefore, you know, not talking about these big issues like a child uh, that are critical to a healthy and functional relationship? Like, is there a natural way to keep people apart 
without getting unrealistic or absurd. And sometimes there really isn't. <laughs> you know, Alicia Rye has talked about this, um, you know, how the hardest part of writing romance novels is, it, it, you know, is not coming up with characters or plot or ideas or any of that, but it, it's, it's figuring out a way to keep two intelligent grownups apart for 300 pages. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I don't want to, um, you know, both characters have, have a point here. So Jasmine feels that she and Ashton are close enough, relationshipy enough, if you will, that it's unforgivable that he would keep something that's such a huge part of his life from her. Um, you know, not, not only does it just speak to like how much, uh, you know, how much she thinks he trusts her, but then he doesn't actually, you know, like he can't trust her with the most important, um, the most, the most important thing in his life. But it's, you know, especially if they're thinking about a future together, because like, it, by the way, if we stay together, you're going to be a stepmom is kind of a big deal. Like I can't fault her for that. <laughs> you know, and we talked about this in, um, in the bride test when uh you know esme keeps her daughter a secret um until the very very end of the book and then <laughs> and then the hero is just like oh you okay. have a daughter and i'm gonna be a stepdad all right and i feel i feel like you know he doesn't even really spend a paragraph adjusting to it um and that is that's a little that was hard for us to swallow in that book and um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, but on the other hand, Ashton is still reeling from a very traumatic event. He had a, um, and again, this is, you know, this is a spoiler, but it's also very early on in the book. Um, you know, he had a stalker who broke into his home. Um, and, you know, and so that is why Ashton has, you know, has sort of gathered his, his family um, and taken them somewhere, you know, sent them, sent them somewhere really safe. So he doesn't live with his son. Um, he is, you know, he is in the U.S., you know, working in Miami or in this case in New York. Um, and he has, has sent his son to be safer in his mind with his grandparents. Um, so, you know, he's built, he's built, Ashton has built his entire life around making sure that something like this never happens again, except he also wants to be a famous movie star and we all know how much privacy those people have. So, you know, his, his personal goals to keep his family safe from anything and everything and his professional goals are really at odds. Yeah. I was wondering when he'd recognize when that those two things aren't exactly compatible. It was like his fear and ambition were competing for front seat, which I imagine after such a traumatic situation as he experienced, it would leave anyone playing seesaw with those intense emotions. Like what, you know, what you really want to protect and what you, what your, you know, your professional goals and ambitions are. So, but yeah, they, there, there was, there's a trade-off and he hadn't found it yet. For sure. You know, and then there's also the piece where, not only does he want to be famous, but he also wants to keep being a working actor so that he can support his family. And so, I don't know, there's a lot going on there. And you can, you know, so given all of that, you couldn't, or at least I couldn't get too annoyed at him or or at Jasmine because each one did have a valid point of view. Um, right. But that didn't make it any less frustrating 
when they're at odds for the last quarter of the book. And that is a long time in my mind uh, to have your protagonists mad at each other, especially following on the heels of an extremely low angst, Rebecca Weatherspoon, if the boot fits, where, you know, Amanda and Sam are never actually angry with each other. So this, you know, huge chunk of the book where these people are, are not only not speaking, but they're actively sort of doing things that might even sabotage each other's careers. Um, it's not my favorite. <laughs> no, it's, it's not my favorite either. But I just, are we going to? I just had this thought. Are we going to compare everything to if the boot fits? Like, for, henceforth, everything is based on this like criteria. Like, on, it's just not fair if you think about it. But yeah, on the coattails of boot, like Ola just kind of was going against the wind, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and and what you know? So so we should we should be fair because what would not suffer in comparison to one of our our favorite books of the decade, honestly. Um, so, okay, well, but here's a, here's something that you had me at Ola and if the boot fits had in common. Um, and again, like, yes, I am comparing them and yes, I should probably chill on that. But, um, but we did, we did talk about this in book club. Like, um, you know, so, so those, both of those books, um, you know, have large and potentially very interesting supporting casts. And we talked a lot in If the Boot Fits about how well-constructed um, and vivid those secondary characters were. Um, there's a ton of potential for that in You Had Me at Ola. And in some places it works, in some places it, you know, it, it comes through and in other places I feel like there were more opportunities. But um, you know, Jasmine has her cousins who are basically like, she doesn't get along with her sort of nuclear family, her brother and her sister. Um, and her parents, uh, she's, at, she's, she's at odds with them, but she has her two cousins, the primas of power, who I think are going to be the heroines of the next two books. She has her grandmother, who's a lovely character, um, you know, and then you've got Ashton, you've got his son, his dad, his beloved grandparents, and then you've got the cast and crew of Carmen in Charge. I really did enjoy almost all of these characters, or at least the idea of most of them, um, but there were definitely a few... I kept thinking, okay, if we're going to write this many pages, maybe we could have, we could spend a little bit more time developing some of these secondary characters. Um, you know, then again, at least one book club member, you know, admitted to enjoying reading about those supporting characters more than the main couple. So obviously that really, you know, that was enough for some people. And maybe I'm just spoiled by Rebecca with this movement. <laughs> I don't know. What did you think? No, I, you know, I, I like the story and I like the characters overall. Um, I, but I do think that, yeah, I was left wanting. I felt wanting for more from the supporting characters because they were really dynamic, very interesting, um, particularly the colleagues. And honestly, the grandparents, actually both sets of grandparents were just so much fun. I wanted to know more about them. Um, I really, I felt wanting of the main characters and of their emotional connection, that sense of intimacy between them. Like it was a good story. And if a novel is gonna put you on the main street map, like this is a good one. I just, I just didn't feel there was a great deal of depth from some of the situations and from the, the characters. And I just, I think he said it, you know, the potential was there and it just didn't 
quite get there for me. Yeah, I liked it. And in some places I like some places I liked it a lot, but I I almost always wanted more. Um, as you know, speaking of the grandparents, I absolutely have to give a shout out to Jasmine's grandma, Esperanza, who is responsible for my very favorite moment of the book. One that is way too cute for me to spoil here. I don't know. That's kind of funny that I have no problem spoiling the enormous secret of the book, but I don't want to describe a really cute moment that's essentially irrelevant to the plot in detail. But, uh, you know, I never claim to be consistent. Anyway, you just, you'll just have to read the book uh, to to find out what happens with Esperanza at the end. But it's adorable. Um, you know, I, I feel like there were some missed opportunities to give us more information about some of these secondary characters. Um, there's a scene where Jasmine and her co-stars Lily and Nino are being honored as part of a sort of, you know, 30, 30 under 30 Latinx luminaries in media and entertainment. Uh, you know, the 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 scene is sort of set so that, um, you know, Ashton shows up at this event and there's, you know, it's it's another opportunity to get Ashton and Jasmine in the same room. Um you know, so so the author tells us that Lily and Nino and Jasmine participate in a really interesting panel and that they do a great job. But like, what if she had spent a page or so actually just showing us and telling us what they talked about on that panel? It would have been a great way to learn more about Nino and Lily in general, more about Jasmine's early career, and it would have been so organic to the story. Dude, I absolutely agree. Like, I would have liked to get to know her colleagues better. Like, Nino and Lily were really interesting characters, and I really wanted to know more. But yeah, during the scene, the author breezed through it. And then ultimately, it was used as kind of like a setup to a paparazzi moment. Like, so and for me, it felt like a missed opportunity. Um, you know, and, and even to get to know Jasmine on, on, on what her thoughts are on all of, you know, her, her place in the entertainment business. So yeah, it it was kind of a a missed opportunity. So, okay. So speaking of this event, I, um, I want to use this as a jumping off place to talk about something that we devoted a lot of time to in book club. And I think this just goes to show how, like what wide ranging and fascinating conversations romance novels can spark. Um, So we spent, I don't know, probably 20 minutes at the beginning of book club discussing the use of the term Latinx. Yes. And this was actually a big conversation that it's like, we spent a huge, like a good portion of the, the first part, but we circled back to it at the end. So one member of book club, brought up the fact, um, and she and I were texting about this as we read the book, actually. Um, and I was really curious to see whether it would come up in book club, and it did. Um, so she brought up the fact that the term is, the term Latinx is not widely accepted or used in the Spanish-speaking world for the very simple reason that it just plain doesn't work in Spanish, especially not in spoken Spanish. Um, you know, our friend characterized it as a form of linguistic imperialism, non-Spanish speakers trying to force a language to do something that it's just not meant to do. And that phrase, linguistic imperialism, it just sort of turned my whole understanding of the term and its use on its ear. And I, I felt like the scales had fallen from my eyes and I was like, oh, wow, this, <laughs> this is really 
<laughs> this is very eye-opening, you know, and, and in, in fact, some Spanish speakers are trying to move toward a gender inclusive um, ending that does make sense in Spanish pronunciation and writing. And that's the letter, uh, that's the letter E at the end of a word instead of an O or an A. So that would make a phrase like los amigos or las amigas, um, something like les amigues, and that would be sort of jet inclusive of all genders. So then my mind is blown again because, dude, that is elegant. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so, you know, it's more complicated than just saying, okay, you know, Latinx doesn't do it for a lot of people. Many people actually find it offensive. We're not going to use that going forward um, because Latinx is a term was invented to be gender inclusive as opposed to calling a group of men, women, and non-binary people Latinos. And also a term that is inclusive of those who don't subscribe to the gender binary, who are non-binary, gender queer, gender fluid. So that seems to be, to me, to be a very important aspect to acknowledge. And the term does seem to have pretty wide use in the circles that I follow, namely romance authors from whom I get all my news, um, you know, because I don't pay tons of attention to anyone else on social media. But for example, Alexis Doria uses the term Latinx throughout the book to refer to Jasmine, Ashton, and their colleagues. Um, she will, you know, she, she will use a gendered ending to describe an individual who identifies as a man like Ashton, um, she refers to him as Puerto Riqueño um, a time or two. And, um, but, but sort of in general, when she's talking about those larger groups of people or, um, you know, sort of the community as a whole, she's using Latinx. Um, and in her afterwards, she, so she mentions a group of authors, you know, in her, it's, it's, it's not the afterward, it's the acknowledgements, um, you know, thanking these authors who uh, it seems they use the Latinx ROM hashtag. So based on that, I'm wondering if that is how Alexis Doria personally identifies. So I've been thinking about this and, you know, and going forward, rather than choosing to avoid the term Latinx across the board, because it does work for a lot of people, a lot of people do use it, or on the other hand, to use it across the board, assuming that it's the right thing to do, I think I'm just going to be a librarian and do my research and figure out which term an author prefers for themselves and for their characters. You know, we're already Googling to make sure that we don't mispronounce anyone's names. Um, you know, so this is not a lot of extra work. It's it's one more step. And you know, and for the same reason, names matter, terms matter, and what we call ourselves and what we call others matters. Um, our friend sent us some really fascinating and really persuasive articles explaining why Latinx doesn't work for everyone. I will, of course, include those in the show notes in their very interesting rating. Yeah, these articles are excellent resources, especially for someone like myself who's new to this conversation completely. Like, I have heard that some people really just don't like the term Latinx. I've also heard uh, some native speakers embrace it and use it for their their business. Uh, so, but I'm embarrassed to say that I just don't know enough to fully comprehend the arguments or to dive in and, you know, uh, have an opinion about it. So this has been really enlightening to me. And and I, I absolutely agree. And I think we can all agree that honoring people's pronouns, even so much as pronouns correctly, is very important to just honoring people, honoring who they are, be respectful, being considerate, you know, it's like, 
honoring their preferences. So as you say, how we address people or don't address people, uh, it matters greatly. When I, when I was a high school librarian, I used to, um, kids used to bring me hall passes to sign. Um, and sometimes their teachers, because that was usually from a study hall and their teachers didn't always know them that well. So sometimes their teachers would misspell their names on their hall passes. And I would always make a big production of crossing that out and correcting the spelling, <laughs> which I'm sure the teachers found incredibly annoying, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, like it's your name. It's, it's the most. <laughs> well, and I also, I look at kids and, and teenagers, they're really struggling often to find their place in the world and to, and, and I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think that that little piece actually matters greatly. Like I remember uh, when I was in seventh grade, I decided I wanted to, um, there are two Shannons. There were a lot of Shannons, but um, in my class, <laughs> my classroom in a particular um, like social studies class or something, there were two Shannons. I decided I would be Shannon, like uh, E-N, like Shannon mm -hmm. Doherty, right? And my, the teacher was just like, that's not how your name is spelled on the transcript. You cannot do that. And he just went into like, why this wouldn't work. And I was just like, thank you for mansplaining that one to me. Yeah. It's not your choice. I did not say that. Instead, you know, I was just like, I, I shrunk and just kind of accepted it. But to this day, one of my friends uh, will, will address me as Shannon. Oh. So it, it's just really interesting. But I think that, you know, I do think that those little things matter. And especially for, for teenagers and for kids, like you do want to create a space for them. Yes. All right, people. Names matter. Pronouns matter. Do your research. <laughs> okay. So after our book club pick, what else have we been reading? Um, I seem to be gravitating towards books with the basic theme of healing, specifically how do we heal after a tragedy or an illness or trauma. So I've been reading or listened to um, Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Dowd. It's a memoir. Um, this is about the author's experience with cancer, treatment, and recovery. She asks the questions, how do you live after spending years just surviving? That led me to reading There I Am by Ruthie Lindsay, which is another memoir. Um, chronicles the author's path from an accident um, that she had when she was a teen. She was hit by an ambulance. It broke bones and her lungs collapsed, collapsed and she had like the slim chance of survival. Uh, and to correct some of the damage, they put a piece of metal uh, to hold her cervical spine together, which eventually start puncturing her brain. And she develops debilitating chronic pain and then ultimately an opioid addiction. It also chronicles the sudden loss of her father, uh, her overcoming her addiction, and finally finding hope and beauty, you know, in, amidst this like, huge amount of loss and grief. I'm sure we've lost a lot of people by now. 
I'm almost done, folks. Um, I've also read uh, This Close to OK. It's a novel by Lisa Cross Smith. Uh, it's a novel about a woman who interviews with a young, sorry, I don't mean to laugh here. Um, I'm just kind of about to, we should get Shandy on here because, anyway. Uh, so This Close to OK is so good. It, it truly is good. It's a young woman who interviews, a young who intervenes um, with a young man who's about to jump off a bridge. Ultimately, like through some various different events, he ends up staying at our house for the weekend. They're both withholding information about themselves, which becomes critical in their tenuous yet tender and very real connection. Again, these themes of what do we do to survive? How do we heal? How do we make and maintain connections when we're kind of in survival mode or have all but given up? It is really, really a beautiful story of two lost souls making a connection. Um, the book that I read that I just loved um, was Meet Me in Paradise by Libby uh, Hubsher. Uh, this is a happily ever after. It deals with but it, it deals with some really big traumas, such as losing a parent, becoming the sole provider for a younger sibling, that sibling becomes ill, managing and navigate, navigating anxiety on like epic levels. Like, the interesting thing about the story is that instead of the chapters alternating between the protagonist and the love interest, the chapters alternate between the protagonist and her sister. So it's like a love letter to sisters as much as to love and healing. And it totally made me cry. It's totally different kind of romance, but I promise you there is a happily ever after. And it made me just like text and um, tell my sister that I love her. Anyway, so yeah, these themes are really speaking to me right now. Um, so maybe we should move on to Shandy. What are you reading? I feel like you said something about vacation reading challenge. challenges. <laughs> Before we before we move on to my uh, significantly more frivolous, <laughs> um, I'm really curious because when you uh, when you describe Ruthie Lindsay's accident and her aftermath, um, you know just that that event and her injury sounds so reminiscent of what happened to Frida Kahlo when she was a young woman. And I'm I was I'm really curious whether that you know whether that comparison was ever made in the book or or if that if you know if, if, she, if she felt a connection to Frida or anything like that if that comes up at all interesting no it actually doesn't um so I I don't know if she just doesn't see herself on the same level as Frida Kahlo or perhaps Ruthie's experience was distinctly different for her than what she imagined Frida's experience to be but that's a quick that's a good question like I didn't make that connection and maybe that's because you know, the uh, Ruthie Lindsay didn't either. Um, then again, you know, I didn't make the connection and that's not surprising. Huh? <laughs> anyway. Seriously. What are you reading now? I, I would not expect anyone else to have read as many picture books about Frida Kahlo as I have. So, <laughs> but, but you talking about this really made me think about prioritizing um, a, a biography, you know, a, a biography written for grown-ups about her <laughs> um she was just such an amazing person and over overcame so much and still you know not, not only was able to survive but was able to to find so much joy um so I, anyway you you talking about those books really made me think of that um I, 
I'm totally on a different reading path right now. Um, and I will, uh, you know, those all really do sound excellent. I will put them on my list for a later reading mood. Uh, yes. right and now. if you do happen to be in that mood, it, those four titles are so, so good. I highly recommend them. But yes, it might be for a particular mood. <laughs> I don't know if you all remember the last time we were at the cabin last August, I just decided to kind of go wild and try to finish at least one novella or novel, uh, a romance every day of our vacation. So I, I thought I would try to do the same thing again this time. I was so annoyed at myself for falling asleep at 9 p.m. on the night we arrived at the cabin. And often I'll fall asleep at 9 p.m. and then I'll wake up at, say, 11.30 and then I'll finish a book. I've, I've done that several times on this vacation. But that night, I just slept all the way through. I was on track to finish a novella that night. And I broke my streak only four days in. Ah, so I read two the next day to make up for it. Anyway, this bonanza means that I have read some great stuff since our last episode. And there's, I read so many fun books that I'm not even going to be able to share them all in this episode. And I'm going to have to have that spill over into, uh, into the next episode. But um, let me give you some highlights. Um, on, the, on the drive down, I read Her Perfect Partner. No, I'm sorry, not Her Perfect Partner, His Perfect Partner. Um, by Priscilla Oliveras. Um, I feel like I'm going to have a hard time talking about this. Um, on the one hand, the romance and especially the family relationships are just done so beautifully. And she really brings the heat and the tension with just a few kisses and nothing more um, between the heroine and the hero. Um, on the other hand, and I would... I, I would caution uh, future readers of this book. I have never cried this hard while reading a romance. Um, the heroine's father has cancer and has opted not to have a second round of treatment against his three daughters' wishes. Um, so there's that tension there, like why, you know, he 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 says I I can't go through that again, and they're like you have to live for us and for our uh, for our future and. Um, you know, definite content warning for illness and loss of a parent, which does happen on page. It is beautifully done. Um, that scene, I'm I'm getting tears in my eyes just even thinking about that scene. You know, I'm just sitting there in the, you know, in the car, Joe's driving and tears are rolling down my cheeks. And he was like, I thought you were reading a romance. I was like, I am. <laughs> so uh, definitely be warned. There's sort of a heavy aspect to that, but it is, uh, it, it's also lovely and it just speaks so much to how, um, to how close knit this family is and how much, um, how much these, these daughters love their father and how much they are loved by him. So, um, all right. Whoa. So I, I thought, I think I was supposed to lighten things up here. And I, <laughs> okay. So on the other end of the spectrum. You've been there for a month. I think <laughs> you bring it up. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I started reading Christina C. Jones last summer and then I kind of didn't read anything of hers for a few months, but I remembered as I was sort of working up to this challenge, I remembered that she has tons of novellas and little collections of short stories and what you might call a novelette, which is not a term that I enjoy saying out loud, but you know, like even shorter than a novella, um, they are... <sighs> She is so funny. I like you're just you're just laughing out loud. I don't know. So I I read, let's see. 
the sweet, so the sweet, sweet heat series I started last year. Um, and I finished the second two books, the last two books in that, a dash of heat and a touch of sugar. Um, and then she has this kind of, um, she has sort of these, these interconnected sets of stories. Um, so it's the chase for me. I think I might love you grow something bittersweet plus one. Um, and most, if not all of those are, are sort of connected. Um, to this neighborhood um, called Mahogany Heights, which is this really vibrant community that's home to a lot of wonderful small businesses, each of which, each, you know, each of which has an owner or a manager who, of course, needs to find love. Um, the witty banter is absolutely there between the the protagonists, between the love interests. In some cases, I think I like the heroine's conversations with their best girlfriends even more. Um, you know, even when they're texting from the bathroom doing a very unfortunate lactose intolerance incident. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he sent you screenshots of that. <laughs> just laughing so hard. It was so real. And where else are you finding that in in romance, those sort of real life moments where sometimes your latte gets switched with somebody else's latte and then and then disaster ensues. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it just gives you this this moment of oh my gosh this this heroine is a real person and and yes the hero sees her as you know the most glamorous gorgeous woman on earth but also this kind of regular stuff happens to her <laughs> anyway it's oh my gosh christina c jones is my my author of this vacation i, I am just so so smitten with her work okay so what else have i loved i loved sweet hand by uh ng peltier um which i will correct that pronunciation if it is incorrect because i forgot to look her up all that talk about names and pronunciation and i completely forgot to look up an author um this book is set in trinidad and it features a pastry chef charisse and her longtime enemy kieran a recording artist um, they are part of the same friend group, but they have always loathed each other. Or have they? <laughs> There's a ton of good cake and cookie stuff in here. Even if they do fall in love over red velvet with cream cheese frosting, yuck. Don't hate me. You wouldn't. <laughs> it just means there's more for all of you. <laughs> it's not the red velvet I have a problem with. It's that it's always paired with cream cheese frosting. And I well, I would pair it with a regular buttercream. I feel like cream cheese is a, a wonderful food that should be almost entirely saved for savory applications. But again, I recognize that I'm in the minority here. Um, so more for all of you. You have probably seen the cover making the rounds, the cover of this book. It is beautiful. The book is just as delightful. And I'm really looking forward to the next one in the series. It was just a treat. Um, I love, love, loved The Companion by E.E. E. Ottoman, um, which is an own voices historical about an FMF menage. Um, it takes place in 1948, and I really like that time frame because you don't see it a lot in historical romance. Um, I really enjoyed Ottoman's work for a while now, but this is sort of, this just feels like you know, just a leap. It's it's next level in terms of the writing, the characters. Uh, you know, I I just love it when you can when you can see an author stretching and growing and sort of reaching their full potential. This book was awesome. Mm -hmm. I loved it. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, so good. <laughs> um, I did read a few non-romances, although I'm not counting those, those toward my total. I'm The challenge is to finish a romance every day of this vacation. And I have so far, except for that one time when I fell asleep and read two the next day. But I did read some non-romance. Um, I read Stephen Graham Jones's absolutely flippin' terrifying uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw. So the heroine of that book, Jade, is obsessed with, with slasher films. And she uh, she begins to see things, you know, sort of going wrong in her small town. And she is wondering if she is about to be in a slasher film. But there's so much more to it than that. Um, I, I can't really say much more without giving it away. Very scary. Very good. Really, really been enjoying his work during the pandemic. Um, as a complete 180 from that, I treated myself to the print edition of A Champion's Heart by Piper Hughley. I'm really excited to dive into that. I loved, and I just said I was going to not talk about romance for a minute, but now I'm back to talking about romance. Um, the Gentle Art of Fortune Hunting, which is a, which I think is the newest KJ Charles. I adored that. That was so wonderful. Um, she Whom I Love by Tess Bowery uh, is a historical um, FFM menage set among theater people. And as much of a theater kid as I was, I definitely do not read enough books set in that world, you know, that sort of take place in, among, among theater kids or grown-up theater kids. On that note, though, now that I think about it, um, a couple of standout reads from the last few months, uh, Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell and uh, A Tip for the Hangman by Alison Epstein. Those were really wonderful, and, and they deal with this, the sort of the characters in the sort of the milieu of, of William Shakespeare and Kit Marlowe, respectively. Neither one is a romance, but romantic love is treated very interestingly in both. Um, speaking of books that will make you cry your eyes out, um, of which we have which we have discussed several uh, in this episode, I must caution I must caution you not to pick up Hamnet unless you um, are prepared to shed many, many tears. That was a recommendation from our friend Chris, who always gives great recommendations. Um, I don't know how much he cried. I have not asked him that rather personal question, but <laughs> oh my gosh, that that's that is a tough read, but also just beautiful. Anyway. I feel like a year, you know, a year into this pandemic and and there's there's some moods that are happening. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. there there are some moods that need to be um, given space. But I, I will say that you, you know, it's like the cabin and you, it's like you're on a, a reading blue streak. I love it. So, you know, if you didn't have a pen and a notebook nearby to write down those titles, folks, don't, do not fret. We will have them in our show notes because I'm sure there's a mood to fit everyone here. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to cry. We have plenty of, <laughs> plenty of titles to suggest to you as well. Um, speaking of, on a, on a lighter note, we haven't done a punny romance title yes. in a while. And I finally read a Cherish Read book, and it has a punny title. It is called Trust Falling for You. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like a trust fall, it's funny. Um, it's about a work retreat for university professors. So while I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, this is one that we should give to Shannon's sister so she can tell us um, what, you know, if, if the portrayal of academia and professors falling in love is very realistic or not. 
I've read um, Cherish Reed's other two novels, and I've definitely been curious about my sister's opinion. Uh, so I haven't read this one. Um, is it good? I really liked it. It was very cute. You know, cabin forced proximity for the win. I just, you know, there's a there's a spider rescue and not a rescue of a spider, but a rescue of the heroine from a spider. It's all very cute. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I think you will too. I feel like this might set us up for, uh, you know, maybe talking about tropes in a later episode. I wonder if maybe we should talk a little bit about tropes next week. <laughs> maybe we should talk about tropes. <laughs> wow. So, folks, tune in next time because I think we might be troping it up. And I hate to cast and run, but it's... But you have a pool to play in and a lake to boat, you know, take advantage of the, your last 24 hours there. So no shame. You're relaxing. Go. And please, please, please take a nap in the hammock one last time for us. We are living vicariously through you. And listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts. What did you think about You Had Me at a Law? You know, what's your reading mood right now? Please share. You can find our emails on the A Bookish Affair page on LOPL.org. You can comment on LOPL social media posts or find Shandy at our bookstagram at Shandy B. Reads. And I apologize, mine is on hiatus. Once again, no apology is necessary. And I feel like I should reiterate uh, that the op opinions expressed and espoused on said bookstagram are mine and mine alone, not necessarily those of the library or of this podcast. But I have been posting on it every now and then. Anybody who's looked at it knows I don't post a lot. But <laughs> you do post. I do occasionally. I want to do like a really big Instagram story that has the um, the covers of every book that I read on this trip. So I'm kind of waiting. Um. Anyway, if you would like to join us for our May book club. We will be discussing the absolutely delightful The Duke Who Didn't by one of my favorite historical romance authors, Courtney Milan. That'll be on May 9th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Zoom. Please contact us and we will send you the Zoom info. And we would, yeah, we would so much love to have you there. Um, please join us and we will talk to you soon. the extreme risk category, but the library is still open. For the latest details about indoor holds pickup, including available services, masking and distance requirements, the limit, time limits, and building capacity, check, uh, check wapple.org. Wapple.org. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't do this podcast without the help of quite a few awesome, 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 awesome folks. <laughs> we are grateful to all of you for waiting a long time between episodes. Sorry. It... No, not this one. This was only one recording. Oh. Uh.
<laughs> Allison Arnold, the nine-year-old has to bring a rocks and our champions and for taking care of everyone in the library. Rick Lyons for giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it. Chris Barrett for being a national treasure. Chris Myers for good trouble and good book recommendations. Kara Taylor for cheerfully acquiring just about anything we ask her to. Noah Olson, Amy Grimes, and Todd Macklin for answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Special thanks to Noelle, Jill, and Steve for always looking at for always listening to the end. Everyone at LPL has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie's our biggest cheerleader. We hope all podcasters have a super fan like her. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Thanks to Justin and Joe for everyone who answers. We can switch lattes with you anytime, no matter the consequences. Thanks most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners who keep us inspired and always searching for the next happily ever after. Bye. <laughs> I almost ate the brown one. <laughs>